Jeffrey Jay is the executive director for Hip Hop for Change, a nonprofit that utilizes hip hop to bridge social gaps. He is a radio host in San Francisco and uses his platform to speak on issues of social justice. He got his start as a city coordinator for a nonprofit where he learned about activism, fundraising, and organizing. He was the first black director, and this is where he honed his fundraising skills and learned how to effectively operate in a nonprofit world. He has raised over $3 million and has helped over 22,000 youth lead better lives. He's a socially conscious rapper and has performed with rappers such as Rakim, Method Man, Dead Press, and Talib Kweli. Listen to follow Caffrey J's journey. Visit nodegree.com to start your journey. Subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash nodegree. Every contribution is appreciated. This show wouldn't be possible without you. Let's get this show started. Hey, today I have Kafri J on the No Degree Podcast. Do you mind giving a brief introduction to yourself? Not at all, man. Thanks for having me. My name is Kafri J. Uh, I'm the founder, executive director of Hip Hop for Change, an Oakland-based 501c3 that uses grassroots activism to advocate for social justice and raise funds for causes that enrich the lives of marginalized and historically oppressed people. Uh, I'm from Hunter's Point. Uh, as you can hear, I'm the best dad ever. My daughter's going to the park right now. Uh, and I'm an activist, man. I'm an activist. I'm a hip hop artist. And, and I use my skills to organize the community because uh, hip hop is a social justice thing. It's how we you know, organize our wealth and our voice and our dreams and hope. So that's what I do. No, I mean, hip hop is a powerful way to communicate, man. I grew up listening to just a Rakim, Nas, Eminem, just a lot of people and, you know, Wu-Tang Clan and you know, it's always about the message, right? And the message is deep. And the beauty of hip hop is like you can listen to a song so many times and then you listen to it again. And it's like, oh, that's what they meant. Or wow, that's the double meaning, triple meaning or whatever. And it, it, that's the beauty of hip hop. You can listen to the song hundreds of times, but that one on one time you just get something different. Now, what got you down this path, man? Because activism is something that requires a lot of work. It takes a special type of person to really care. And, you know, you have to it's a sacrifice, right? It takes a lot. So what got you down this path? Uh, I was pissed. <laughs> uh, you know, I you know, I mean, I've been an angry black man since I found out I was a black man. You know what I'm saying? But, you know, being a, a, a rapper, it brings about a certain amount of introspection. You know what I'm saying? Especially if you, you know, you're an MC, you're an artist, you're looking at, you know, who you are and, and what you want to speak to. Um, so yeah, I started my career, you know, rapping about girls that didn't like me and money I didn't have and cars I had never driven, uh, you know, kind of trying to find myself in this media landscape that was turning into fakeness, you know, when hip hop was all around me. So around my twenties, man, I really started getting into activism and I started rapping about my, my, my real self. You know, I started rapping about my community, uh, as opposed to what I saw on the TV, and I just became a, a, I guess you'd say, a conscious rapper. Uh, and I knew my career was pretty much dead then because I didn't reflect the industry then. Um, but yeah, man, that that type of that type of real art it causes you to look inside. It causes you to look and see what you value. And you know, I learned a lot about my people rapping about police brutality. You know, I'm from Hunters Point, San Francisco. I got beat up twice at gunpoint uh, before I was 17, and, and and roughed up a few other times. You know what I'm saying? So rapping about things like that, you know, it not only got me pissed, but it also created more of a love for me and my people and, and, and humanity as a whole. You know what I'm saying? So I, I was just I just became an activist and 
I argue that most brown people in a white world are activists, whether they know it or not. You know what I'm saying? Audre Lorde said the very act of telling your story is resistance. It doesn't have to be a positive or whatnot. You know what I'm saying? Uh, that's why I don't put down gangster rap. But, you know, being this conscious artist, it always drove me towards that. And I, you know, I cut my teeth at Greenpeace as the first black director there. I ran their entire fundraising team for the San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, and that's where I learned how to really organize a community of activists to create a lot of economic wealth and social change. And I kind of mixed that with my my culture and my community because hip hop in the Bay and, and, you know, around the nation is wildly underfunded. Like the, the really important narratives that resonate with, you know, the people in the hood rather than the narratives we see on TV that resonate with suburban white men between 18 and 24 who consume about 70, 75% of hip hop. Uh, so yeah, man, I just realized that I had this skill that I could lift up my community and, and, and protect them with this 501c3 status uh, and with this nonprofit work, so we could do the same, you know, practices we've been doing forever. You know what I'm saying? So I don't know. You know, I, I'm thankful that that my journey through hip hop showed me what hip hop was, and it showed me how how horrible it was that again, white-owned media is controlling the way that black and brown bodies are depicted. And I'm grateful that I had the skill set to learn how to get out there and hustle and do grassroots fundraising because. Historically, black and brown people have been pushed out of the normal means of organizing politically, right? So we've always had to do grassroots activism. We always had to speak to the people from Ida B. Wells to Medgar Evers. So I'm fortunate that I, I, I can be extension of that movement by learning these cool practices and, and taking it to my community and, and really raising four and a half million dollars off it, employing thousands of people, teaching tens of thousands of children K through 12 the history of hip hop. And yeah, now hip hop is really running stuff here in the Bay. So I'm, I'm happy, man. I'm real happy. Man, that's that's some powerful stuff. Now, would you want to be in high school? Because I know <laughs> it's like, it, you know, like the journey of rappers is always interesting, right? How they evolve yeah. over time. So what was high school like for you? And would you want to be in high school? Wow. That's a, so <laughs> to talk about what high school was like, I kind of got to go back to elementary Okay, let's go. Let's go. So let's start early. Yeah, my dad uh, and my mom worked their butts off, man, um, to put me and my brother in a Montessori school. Uh, so I grew up with like Bobby McFerrin's son, who's the only other black person, maybe out of five black people in the whole school. I remember yeah. going to like, I go to you know sleepovers and seeing my friend's house is like what? Wow, and then that's I go a back house. To- yeah, I'm like, every every house is three stories. They got trampolines and they got all these little bins with Legos in it, organized, you know, just amazing money, you know what I'm saying? I remember the first time I ate a bagel, I was like, with capers, and I didn't even know what that was. But but after fifth grade, my parents couldn't afford it no more. So I got dropped into James Lick Middle School, which is predominantly black and brown, uh, sixth grade. I was the nerdiest black kid. I got in 13 fights. I'm going to say fights. I got beat up. I got jumped a couple of times. I ended up with a 1.17 GPA my first semester. I was just bored, man. And I got my butt kicked so much that by the time I got to Philip Burton High School, I had my own gang. I was like, nah, I'm cool, bro. Y'all, y'all ain't going to keep doing me like this. And, you know, I think I was trying to find my power as everybody, all these kids are trying to, and I'm learning about what that means from the wrong people on the wrong corners and from the music industry and whatnot. Because back then I was just bumping DMX and Bone Thugs and RBL Posse and, you know, stuff like that. Um, But yeah, man, it's like, I went to Burton. I was a terror, man. I was a terror. Uh, We, 
man, we used to gangbang and just rob people every day. And I got smooth kicked out of there by junior year. Um, fortunately, my older brother was one of the first classes uh, of the new school of the arts uh, high school that was at McAteer that moved down to SF State campus. So the principal knew me and gave me a shot. And he was definitely not supposed to let me into school of the arts. You got to like, you know, you got to audition for them and everything. But he threw me a bone and that was a great bone. You know what I'm saying? So I got to go to school with a bunch of white artists mostly, uh, which comes with a whole bunch of other problems as well. But I was able to center myself in art and I was able to get myself out of that violent space. And I was able to meet my homie Richie Cunning, uh, who was in my, one of my first rap groups together. And you know, I just really sunk myself into my art. It was really beautiful. That's really when I started having this awakening because art is inherently introspective, you know what I'm saying? Whether you're, whether you're too dumb to see it, you know what I'm saying? Uh, or, or whether you can tell, you know what I'm saying? So I, I found myself in that art. Um, and what did I want to be? Man, I wanted to to be alive first off. Yeah. I mean, look, survival is the first thing. I didn't even know what I could be. I didn't know what the, you know, white America was going to let me be. I knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a rapper, you know what I'm saying? I wanted to be a rapper. I was also... Uh, artists. I did ceramic sculpture and painting as well. Um, but I wanted to be a rapper. Um, but what I was trying to get to, I didn't really know. So after I got out of high school, I just went to uh, City College in San Francisco. I thought I was going to major in Western art history, maybe be an art buyer or something like that. You know, I, I realized that I don't want to be even be around those people. I don't even know who those people are. You know what I'm saying? And I was like, I don't even know about that world. I, I then uh, switched to economics for a semester. As I said, there's never been, I've never seen a broke economist. And then I realized my teacher was a broke economist and I hated economics. Uh, and then I got into psychology. Um, and that, that's where I kind of stuck for a long time, uh, just getting into psychology, mostly because of my own introspection, my own journey that I realized I got to unpack all this male toxicity so I don't put that on my children. Uh, and I was teaching. I got into the Center for Bilingual Education doing after school, uh, you know, daycare, uh, helping kids out while their parents take ESL classes so they can communicate with their teachers better. Um, and yeah, man, I just really started getting into positivity. It was a beautiful thing. I think I really started getting into my activist spirit the first time I protested uh, the Iraq, the second Iraq war downtown San Francisco. And I got my butt kick, but I, it wasn't really that because I, I, I understood that. But when they the police screamed and said, clear the sidewalk and they start pushing women over people in wheelchairs and they start beating these white folks up next to me. I remember distinctly being like, you can't beat them up. I didn't I didn't think you could beat me up. I get that. You know what I'm saying? Because police do whatever they want to people like us. But it was just amazing that they could just abuse the rights of these people in front of me. And I was like, wow, you know what I'm saying? I, I got mad. I got angry. And I think I've been seeking activism and justice ever since that moment in 2001. So, I mean, that's powerful because, you know, it's interesting. I think recently they finally declared an end. And it's like you think about it like 20 years later. And it's it's kind of sad because, you know what, you were on the right side of history but at the time, you were considered the wrong side of history, right? Because of whatever was said. So, no, I mean, th thank you for that. Because it's like people like you who set the motion for, you know, change takes time, right? And it's like without those seeds planted in 2001, we wouldn't be where we are today. Yeah, for real. For real. Uh, but, you know, I, I did do a lot of college. Uh, you know what I'm saying? I did. You know, I went to City College for about four and a half years. No degree. 
No degree at all. I was just studying and I love college. I love studying. I love learning, right? I never got good grades in high school ever. But as soon as I got into college, well, let me rephrase this, because my first three or four semesters, I was messing around, you know what I'm saying? Uh, and then I kind of stopped for going for a minute because I was just into my sales or whatnot. I, I didn't think that I was really going to be able to get a degree in something that I wanted. But I met a girl. I moved up to Ukiah, started going to Mendocino Junior College. I was like, all right, I'm going to get back on my degree hype. And I started studying really solidly in psychology and minor in ceramic sculpture. That didn't really work out. So I moved back to the Bay. And that's when I started working for Greenpeace and learning, you know, grassroots activism at the same time going to SF State. Um, and I switched my, you know, I felt like I got everything that I needed from psychology personally to make sure that I was a good person and a good father. So I switched to international relations because I was really getting into politics and, 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 you know, just the way power moves around the world. I was uh, on a good track. I was like three semesters from getting my uh, my B.A. in international relations. Or I could get into psychology. I literally had to explain to SF State why I had like 170 units or something like that. And they're like, this is ridiculous. You should have already had a master's degree with all these classes. I didn't even know what I wanted to do. Uh, and I was also trying to dodge uh, advanced algebra and stats, which I ended up getting an A in. But, you know, the funny thing is, is I started Hip Hop for Change in 2013 when I was literally three semesters from getting my B.A. And I was crushing it. I was uh, working like 70 hours a week. I was taking 13 units. I was doing better in school than ever. But Hip Hop for Change was getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, so I was working you know, at this point, I think I was working like 75 hours a week. I was canvassing on the streets, you know, five days a week. I was throwing my events, my shows, and it was just me. And then I was also taking 13 units. Man, I don't know how you did that. Because they're only 24 hours a day, so you got to teach me how you maximize Man, it to I'll like 40 a day. I die, bro. I sleep when I die. You got to do what you got to do. Uh, and, you know, that's one thing that I, I, I'm grateful for learning is that they ain't I have no excuses. You know what I'm saying? I have no safety net. You know what I'm saying? Like, if I look 10 years down the road, back then I had no safety net. I was just a black man. You know what I'm saying? And no matter how hard I've worked, no matter how much education I did, I was still entry level on my resume. You know what I'm saying? So I, I've never felt comfortable. And I've always felt like, man, I, you know, that's what my dad did. My dad worked in construction during the day, slept four hours and then worked as a mail carrier so we could go to private school. You know, I think this kind of kind of hustles in my genetics. Fortunately, my grandmother never slowed down. She had six boys in uh, Hunters Point, San Francisco. Yeah, she did play. She worked her butt off and, and took care of a whole family. So I come from a long line of, uh, of people who've got a great work ethic. But but yeah, man, the final straw, I did this this report. It was like a 30 page uh, you know, a final report, and I went to press send uh, at eleven fifty. You know, it's due yeah, yeah, eleven fifty. Yeah, I pressed send. I was like, Ooh. and I went to sleep, and I woke up, and it hadn't sent, and I failed that class. I was, I was, I was going to get an A uh, and move on, but I failed because it didn't send, and I dropped out. I couldn't take it. I just couldn't take it anymore, you know. And hip hop for change was getting really, really, really big. Like I, at this point, I had coworkers and you know, technically employees, but I call them my coworkers. Um, and I couldn't leave them hanging. And, and I already knew hip hop for change was the best idea I ever had. You know what I'm saying? Because everybody who heard about it wanted to rock with it. So I'm looking, hey, do I become, do I, do I drop this and get two more classes and get a BA in international relations? So. 
I can hopefully get some job, you know what I'm saying? And then maybe eight years move up the ranks enough to be able to take a vacation a year. I don't know. That's a gamble. Uh, but I got this burgeoning nonprofit here. I got eight coworkers, you know, starry eyed, happy, and they all think that we can take hip hop back too. And I got this community of active, of activist artists that, you know, I'm starting to dedicate my heart to making sure they don't have to, you know, rock for free. Uh, or have 20 people at their show because they don't have a budget for promotion. You know what I'm saying? It's like, which one do you want? Uh, so I had to make the right decision. I was like, well, you know, school's great. And I, I do wish I could go to school forever. Not even to get credits. I just like learning. You know what I'm saying? Like when I come home, I watch SciShow on YouTube and, you know, watch about neutron stars and, and you know, the new particles they're finding in, the, uh, you know, the Hadron Collider and stuff. That's I just love learning, you know. Uh, sometimes rapping about it, but as far as as the pathway was right for me, you know, it was always banking on my own hustle. So it was an easy decision. I just had to go, and it was the right one. And I've employed over a thousand people in my community, and I don't think I've ever been more comfortable with my success. You know what I'm saying in life and, and, and the social capital I've gained. I actually got paid well for the first time last year. I was like, oh my God. Well, yeah, I know that feeling where you're like, whoa, this is real money. Yeah, yeah. Was, uh, you know, my mom was even telling me I was crazy because she was like, you don't even have healthcare. You don't have a job, right? I got healthcare, Ma. It took me like seven years to shut her up about it. But now she's like, all right. <laughs> she sees me on the news, but... But yeah, man, um, what I learned through this process is that, you know, I, and it's not like I don't advocate college. College is a tool. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just a tool. It's not something to just push people on. Some people ain't good for college. Some people aren't ready for college. Some people are ready for a trade school, right? Some people should probably just start their own business. You know what I'm saying? It's like, so what I've been telling people, especially communities of color who have an even harder chance in college with college degrees and everything like that. If you got that level of hustle and you've got a good idea, the only thing that separates you from success is your hustle, just your grind, your ability to do that. College is a grind. It's a grind, right? Some, some of them, sometimes it's a soul sucking grind too. You know what I'm saying? Just, mm. and then you're in hella debt on top of that with the hopes that somebody's going to give you the, the money and the job that you can pay for your own happiness and pay off your debt at the same time. That, that's a gamble. It's all a risk. And everything in business is, is a series of risk assessments. So I always tell people, look inside and look at your own your own efficacy, your own acumen, your own hustle, your own grind. And then if you think you got it good enough to be able to smash it in college, you also got to realize you got it good enough to be able to make your own dreams happen, too. Right. We're not outnumbered. We're outorganized. So as long as we can organize ourselves around any idea like one of my homegirls, she used to work with me. She quit and she said, I'm going to start my own business. Now, I was like, she totally believes she can do that. You know what I'm saying? Because the grassroots work that we do out here, we see these methods and modes of getting money. And then we realize we don't need, you know, pieces of paper that say we can have the right to hustle. So we always have the right to hustle. So if you have an idea for a hustle, seriously, take that into consideration. You don't need a degree to, to call yourself a consultant on LinkedIn, right? You just need the experience and the knowledge. So when I realized, damn, I've been doing this work for a long time. I am a nonprofit consultant now. And I put it on my LinkedIn and people start paying me to consult with them. So you are who you, you know, you are what your experiences are. And I just want to make sure that people know that no matter if you're using the strategy of college, you know, trade school, your own business, 
the base of all that is your own hustle. It doesn't matter what you do that or what buckets you put it in. As long as you're going full speed, uh, then you're probably going to be able to be successful. You obviously really love learning. What are some ways that you learn outside of the classes? You took a lot of classes, but what are some other ways that you go about learning? Man, um, you know, it's kind of... <laughs> It's kind of interesting that I've watched a lot of science documentaries on YouTube. Uh, I got a subscription to Curiosity Stream as well. Um, but, you know, I think where I learn most right now is in my work. You know what I'm saying? I never had a business before, right? I don't come from a place where people say, hey, you totally have a business. Starting Hip Hop for Change was so new for me, man. I, I, when I had the idea of it, I literally, you know, and I come from grassroots fundraising, you know, Greenpeace, people wave you down wearing those vests and talk to you about polar bears. I literally said, I'm going to start this. And I got a clipboard and I went out on a sidewalk and said, yeah, we're going to change the world. Give me money. And I raised like $800 my first day and I went, drove to Sacramento Incorporated. I never incorporated a business before. So I learned a whole lot that day. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and not only that, all the stuff I learned I had to do was quite intimidating. You know what I'm saying? I've never made a website before. I never did 501c3 paperwork in the 3600 California equivalent. You know what I'm saying? I've never done any of this stuff. So it's been such a, 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 a progression of learning that never stops. Not only that, we get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger every single year. This year, we just realized this is too much money for me to even project and analyze. So I need a CFO now. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I've never hired a CFO. So I'm learning there. You know what I'm saying? Like right now we're getting, you know, $100,000 grants here. And I'm trying to make sure programs are in place and systems are in place. I'm making sure people get raises before they ask them and for them and making sure like people are taken care of. This is all new for me. You know what I'm saying? This is all new. I get art. I get hip hop. I get the classroom. I get all that. Running a business, man, this stuff never ceases to amaze me, especially with the trajectory of hip-hop for change. I learned the most, man, just being the executive director of hip-hop for change, and not just about business, but through this whole you know, process of creating a really empowered social justice org that's centered around black and brown people, around female-identified people, with queer folks, you know, highlighted as well, like, Man, I'm a cisgender, heteronormative man, you know what I'm saying, from the hood. You know what I'm saying? I learned so much. I put my foot in my mouth so much. But, man, being in a space where everybody's empowered really necessitated a lot of growth for me and learning about patriarchy and homophobia and, and you know, ableism and all these systems. I'm so grateful for that education, too. Um, so I think, you know, what I've learned also most from is just being around badass activists from all walks of the community, all marginalized types of folks and just learning how I impact them. You know what I'm saying? That's That's been one of the most beautiful progressions I've ever experienced in this uh, 39 years. So do you read a lot of books for education also? Because you said a lot of documentaries, a lot of books. Or is that part of your routine? No, I, I never have been a real avid book reader. Uh, you know, if I do pick up a book, I just ingest it in a day or two and I'm out. And I just, I, like, I've always, it's hard for me to sit down. I average about 18,000 steps a day. <laughs> I got oh, my little that's, Samsung that's watch. Yeah, man. It's, uh, I don't know if it's bad for me. I don't know. But, no, um, there's, look, everybody has their own style. Yeah. I say the last book I, I read, Nell Painter, History of White People, was deep. Uh, oh, Rachel you know Maddow. My copy ah, yeah. Word. Word. Just grab it right here. So, yeah, I got, uh, you know, who knows when I'll read it, but I do love yes. the title. It's a very, I mean, the cover. It's just a yeah. very interesting power. The cover definitely stands out. 
This is my next one right here, Michael Eric Dyson. You know what I mean. Uh, so uh, I just picked that up from a memorial of a really badass activist that helped found our radio station in the Bay Area, KPOO. Shout out Terry Collins. Rest in peace, brother. Um, but, you know, I read very, very sparsely. Um, I'm like, I love documentaries. I love science. Um, but, yeah, that's just how I ingest my information or I rap about it. Now, how do you go about becoming a radio host? How does someone become that? Well, to hell if I know, man. Uh, I can tell you how I became it. But if you are trying to get some game on how to become one, I, I, don't, I don't know if I have the game. You know, I started Hip Hop for Change and... and Initially, Hip Hop for Change was just doing grassroots fundraising on the street to fund social justice centered hip hop events to pay local artists. Um, and all the education, you know, builds up from there. And, and, and really the, the octopus tentacles that we have now in the different realms of hip hop activism and organizing. It's just I wasn't even thinking all this stuff back then. It's amazing what organizations become. But yeah, I was throwing events and shows and we have this really amazing radio station, uh, the, the oldest black owned radio station west of the Mississippi, KPOO San Francisco, 89.5 FM. Uh, and yeah, it's the first station that brought hip hop to the Bay when KML was playing light rock. Uh, you know, it's where Too Short, it's where Tupac came through, E-40s, where all these people came through. When people came out to the Bay, they went to Capu. It's called the Emancipation Station, Poor People's Radio. It's all volunteer. It's it's amazing. It's right in the heart of the Fillmore District. Um, so I had a person that I really just stopped on the street and told him about it. He's like, yo, I'm a radio host. You should come and, you know, promote your show. And I went in there one time. I actually, actually, I think I went in there twice to promote two events that I had. And we just chopped it up. And when I get on the radio, I start talking about white supremacy immediately. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and I think it was the third time I went on the radio station manager, JJ. Shout out to you, brother. He just walked up to me right after my interview. He's like, ah, hey, I'm JJ. And he's got this man has a He speaks with a radio voice like he literally in regular life, he talks to the radio voice. He's like, have you ever thought about joining the radio? And I was like, and I was like, oh, the, I was like, wow, I never thought about it. In my head, I was like, hell yeah, I've been thinking about this the whole yeah. time I've been here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so he invited me to do a radio show. And we've been on there for eight years, man. Um, and, you know, that show, my whole platform is to support local people. You know what I'm saying? It, radio was so important for hip hop culture. Because when you went to New York, you could hear New York people. When you went to New Orleans, you could hear New Orleans people. When you went to the Bay, you hear the Bay. LA is totally different too. And you know, radio hosts would, would take the new single from the community and bump that and now artists would get on. Uh, so that, that kind of community vibe was really important. So when I created Hip Hop for Change Radio, I said, we're only playing local Bay Area artists. Uh, that's it. So we got a three hour block every Sunday, 12 noon to three. I've only played two songs that weren't from the Bay in eight years. Uh, and that's, yeah, I don't play, man. And, you know, you're going you gonna to get this work. You're going you're gonna to learn about the, the artists in your community. And we built up an incredible fan base uh, of people. You know, I got I got. 67-year-old grandmas and ex-Black Panthers calling me, telling me, baby, baby, you're doing so good. I love your show. I listen every day. Every time you do it, I just love what you're doing for these young people. And it's so affirming when a 70-year-old Black Panther woman calls you and says that you're doing the right thing. You know what I'm saying? It's just a beautiful thing. And that also taught me how important it is to show up 
and, and create these models with my community in mind. Not just what I want, you know what I'm saying, but actually what they want. So listen every Sunday. You can tune in to KPOO.com backslash stream, 12 noon to 3 p.m. It's also archived. It's Hip Hop for Change Radio. Uh, and we play nothing but local artists with no misogyny, violence, racism, homophobia, materialism, or glorified drug abuse. It's just real hip hop. Man, that's amazing, man. That's really amazing. So we all make mistakes, right? What were some of the mistakes you made along the way? Gang banging. Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't even want to call it a mistake. You know what I'm saying? Um, because... But what do you want others to not repeat? If you would want someone to not repeat some of the things you did, what would you kind of tell them to, you know, avoid that and how to avoid it? Well, you know, I guess it's easy to say gangbanging in that frame of mind. But, you know, I think that if I want somebody not to repeat something that I did, um, the best and most important thing I found out in Hip Hop for Change, like when I when I started Hip Hop for Change, I didn't even want to call people. I didn't want to tell people I was executive director. I actually thought that if I tell them, maybe they won't want to give me money because I look like this. You know what I'm saying? You know, I said that imposter syndrome. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I think especially even as minorities, we don't really feel comfortable like we're supposed to be in these spaces because of white supremacy rather than business works with great minds. And I might have one. So, yeah, they need me and I'm going to shoot my shot. You know, a lot of these these instances of imposter syndrome cause people not to shoot their shot. I feel like my life has been a series of either I shot or I didn't. You know what I'm saying? And looking back, there's a lot of times I didn't, I didn't shoot my shot that I should have. You know, I could have, I could have been this, I could have been that. You know what I'm saying? I could have invested in myself certain ways. I could have started this hustle because I've had million dollar ideas left and right. I never shot my shot on them. You know what I'm saying? I always say, oh, that might not be the safest thing. Let me go down the path that everybody's telling me is really safe. I've had dreams of going off on tour, moving to L.A., trying to get signed, things like that. I'm not saying any of these things were what I should have done. I'm glad I didn't because then I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now. But I think the biggest mistake that we do make as people is not investing in our own dreams. You know what I'm saying? Like waiting for people to to say we can. You know what I'm saying? Waiting for people to to check off a box or give us a degree. You know what I'm saying? Or, you know, I'm going to wait till my boss gives me a raise instead of being like, yo, I need $3 more and I'm the one running all this shit here. You know what I'm saying? I think a lot of times we don't take our chances. You know what I'm saying? Especially if you have a minimum wage job, like take a shot. You can get a minimum wage job any day of the week. You, you're not obligated to keep working at McDonald's. You can literally quit and then try something for three weeks. If it don't work, they will hire you back. And that's the biggest thing that I want to tell people. Like we get stuck in these jobs. Even when I was at Greenpeace, I almost stopped rapping because you work so hard, so hard, so hard. And you put your stuff that that's your real dreams on the side because you're working in these spaces. It's the right thing to do. Self-care is at a minimum in spaces like this. And, and so you, you start losing yourself in what you think is right. Instead of being like, hey, I'm not going to work this much because I got to go to the studio afterwards because this is my dream. This is my hope. So we oftentimes put our dreams on the back burner. We oftentimes say, ah, not right now. You know what I'm saying? Oh, if I want to start a business, I got to wait until I have a million dollars. You know what I'm saying? Or whatnot. Like, that's not how any of that works. If you have something, if you have a dream, if you have something that that defines what you love doing, that needs to be the center of what you invest in. And you have to shoot your shot yesterday. 
That would be the biggest thing is invest in your own dreams. Even if you're working, if you're going to college, you better still be working on your art too, right? You don't just make one gamble, right? You better still be making sure that you're working on your own stuff. If you got enough game to be able to get good grades in college, you got enough game to be able to make your own business, to be able to be an artist, an activist, or whatever the fudge you want to do on the weekends, you know what I'm saying? But you got to make sure you prioritize your dreams, your hopes. You got to believe that you're the right person to be able to do it just because you thought of it. You just got just to go for it. That's the thing that I think people turn up, they end up 40, 50 years old, and they're like, damn, if I had only shot my shots, I don't want to do that. I don't want to live with that. Nah, I'm glad you're not living with that. Now, how does someone go about becoming a rapper and maintaining it? Because there's so many kids, right? Everybody, now you say everybody has a SoundCloud, everybody. What do you do to set yourself apart, right? Because so many people do it and they think they're going to be the next big thing. But a lot of people don't realize like the rappers who even make it even at a small to medium sized level. They're very smart. They're very business minded. They're very strategic. They don't just you don't just put out music and hope people listen, right? There's a business, there's a lot of marketing, there's a lot of connections, there's a lot of networking around it. What advice would you have regarding that? Becoming a rapper is the same thing as becoming anything. It's a job, it's a business, you know what I'm saying? I don't care how good you flip burgers or make a burger if you can't run a restaurant, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not going to eat your burger, you know what I'm saying? A lot of times I think people first, when they think they want to be something, they don't think of it right, you know what I'm saying? They, I want to be a rapper. I'm putting myself in Madison Square Gardens in front of a million people. How do I get there? <laughs> I can't tell you. Most rappers can't tell you. Most famous rappers can't tell you how to sell out Madison Square Gardens. But I think we have to mitigate our expectations of what business is, right? What is the business of being a rapper? It's a lot of planes. It's a lot of tour buses, right? It's a lot of sleeping in random ass places. You know what I'm saying? It's performing for an hour, maybe an hour and a half. Like you're a superstar and then you're tired. You know what I'm saying? And then you have to get logistics. It's like, you know, then you have to get your SoundCloud up. You got to get your band camp. You got to get your Spotify. You got to get your beats done. You got to get your people paid. You've got to set up all the bookings and whatnot. You also have to have self-care time. You have to build up your fan base. And, and, and then where are you trying to get to as a rapper? Because one thing I often tell people, and it doesn't matter if you're rapping or starting a business, in order to get something off the ground, you only need 100 fans. That's it. You know what I'm saying? If you want to be sustainable, you need a thousand. You know what I'm saying? That's it. So people are thinking Madison Square Gardens. I'm like, yo, how do I get 100 people to buy my CD? Right? If I can get 100 people to buy my CD, then I can do the next step. And then if I get a thousand people, then I got these three systems that are going to help push me forward. It's about goals, strategies, and tactics. And a lot of people think about the goal and they say, wow, that is a world away, right? Being in Madison Square Gardens. But what's the strategy to get there, right? Am I going to try to get fans? Am I going to try to win the rap battles in Detroit? You know what I'm saying? Because in Detroit, if you're nice, you can go win on by rapping. You can just go win in rap battles and eat people up and you can get a career if you have skill like that. Most rap industry is not like that. It's not Star Search. You know, it's not the Apollo. It's people that are hustling. Especially you see that on the West Coast when you see most of the famous rappers on the West Coast historically haven't been like the most battling cats. They've been hustling cats, the Snoop Dogs, the E-40s, you know what I'm saying? Uh, the RBLs and whatnot, the Mr. Fabs. These are all people who got game, you know what I'm saying? So it's less of being the dopest spitter alive and it's more who can maintain a hustle 24-7 for years and dedicate and build that fan base and build 100 fans that will always come back because it doesn't matter what you rap about. 
There's over a thousand people in the world, in, you know, in your vicinity that will buy your album and rock with your message. Because we're all different. You might never rap before, brother, but if you write a rap, there'll be a thousand people that will be like, man, I support you. You know what I'm saying? If you give them a link to download it and they pay some money, then you got a career. So it is just about that hustle. Every show you do, you pick up a couple more fans, right? And, you know, the same like every uh, conference you go to with your product, you pick up a couple fans. It's the same thing. When I go out on the streets, I pick up a couple monthly donors and you just keep building that base. It doesn't matter what you're selling. It matters about your structure and your, your systems and your ability to go connect with the people. That's what sets people apart. And that's why my tireless work ethic and hustle allow me to do what I do. So I've been able to get out there and make these things happen. And now I don't have to work as hard because I got help. So that's amazing. I'm glad you got help. What's a moment that stood out to you in your rap career? Was it like, hey, I sold, I don't know, 100 CDs today or it was when you performed in front of X people? What's something that's, you know, that you look back, and you're like, wow, that that's cool. It has like a very good memory for you. Yo, yeah. Uh, me and my homies, uh, I'm in a group called Be Paz. Uh, we put 7,000 miles on an SUV in 20 days. Um, yeah, we, we drove all around the nation, uh, on tour and I was pretty broke at that time. I was flat broke. So I almost didn't have any, enough money to even, you know, sustain myself on the tour, let alone. But I did have a CD burner. You know what I'm saying? And this is where my hustle came from. This is when I started, uh, this is how I started hip hop for change. I was what like, year was this? This is like 2013. Okay. I took my last paycheck from Greenpeace. I bought this light scribe CD burner, burns a hundred stack of CDs. And I go on Hate Street and I'll be like, yo, you like hip hop? Check me out. Buy this. I'm moving it. 20 bucks, yada, yada. And they'd be like, rap. I'd be like, I don't rap. Uh, you should just buy this. They'd be like, you're not going to rap? How am I supposed to buy your stuff? I'm like, look, bro, you came to Frisco. You saved up two, $5,000 to come to my city. And you're about to spend hella money on Hate Street. None of these people look like me. None of them even live here. You're about to give them all your money. This is your one chance to give some money to this cat who's from Hunter's Point, five miles that way. You'll never see it because they tell you not to go there. Right? This is your one chance to make sure some of your dollars goes to a brown person in the bank. And I would literally have about a 50% success rate with selling my CDs on Hate Street. So I make like 100 bucks an hour. I was like, whoa, man, I should probably start my own nonprofit and teach people to do this so we can create an economic base. But on that tour, you know, they're like, bro, you don't got that much money. And I was like, man, don't worry. I'm going to make it happen. So I, I took a whole bunch of CDs. I was like, I'm the CD guy. Don't worry. Every time we went to stop and get gas, I jump out. Yo, what's up? You like hip hop? You like hip hop? Check me out. Boom, boom. Out every single time. You know, and, and they were pretty skeptical at first, right? The first time I jumped out the gas station, I was like, watch, sold two CDs. They were like, what? It was like in like two minutes, probably. I was like, I know you like hip hop. We on tour. Check us out. Boom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Boom. You want one, two? Boom. Right. And I paid for gas and they were like, oh, snap. Next time we stopped, same thing. I sold three CDs. Yo, boom, boom, be positive. And after that, they were like, yeah, come on. <laughs> you're like, you're good. So we got to hustle, man. You know, you got to do what you got to do. And if you ain't willing to jump out of car and be like, I'm the shit. You should buy my CD. Then you got to look back inside yourself. You know what I'm saying? That's that scarcity mindset. That's in, that imposter syndrome where we're taught, oh, my raps might not be good enough. Well, are you trying to be the best rapper ever? Good luck with that. Or do you just want to be a rapper and say, hey, this is who I am? You know what I'm saying? I create for the sake of these are my creations. And when you do something, there's going to be 100 people who have never heard of you who will be like, I love this person. They'll resonate with you. And if you have enough hustle to find those people, you got a career. You know what I'm saying? It's period. So if you can get out that car at a gas station and be like, yo, come check me out, man. 
How much did you make for your mom? I, I paid for the whole gas on that trip. It's nothing. Literally, uh, you put me in any high traffic, high foot traffic area, I can make $1,000 that day. I started Hip Hop for Change with a clipboard and a piece of paper saying we're going to save the world. You know what I'm saying? I, was, I pull in three, four, five hundred $500 every single day when I started this. You know what I'm saying? So now that we have all these systems in place and all this history, it's like I, I raise like a thousand bucks every day on every corner I stand on. Wow, that's amazing. So now let's go to the other side. For Hip Hop for Change, what was that moment like the gas station story? What's that Hip Hop for Change moment? I was getting pissed, man, because... You know, if you're a positive rapper in the Bay, you're not getting the big gigs, right? You got There's a couple of party promotion companies. They throw shows. It's mostly fake gangster rappers, you know what I'm saying? Uh, waka flockers, little yachties and stuff like that. And in the audience, there's a bunch of kids from the suburbs, you know what I'm saying? Mostly white kids, and they get to act like gangsters and thugs for a night, and they go home. But I'm not going to get booked to open for that because I'm a conscious artist, you know? I did get a chance. There's one company out here that does pretty cool shows, and they booked me for Rock Him. You know, I almost got him on my podcast. Oh man! So we'll talk about that later. But yeah, and they booked me, and I was like, "Cool, how much? How much y'all gonna pay?" They're like, "We don't know you." And I was like, "What do you mean you don't know me?" I was like, "I'm a rapper, you know. Like, support me. You know what I'm saying?" They're like, "No, nah, we don't know you. So you can rock for free if you want to get this opportunity." I had to borrow 20 bucks from my mom to get gas in my car. I was 30, bro. I was pissed. I was heated. I was so mad, man. And I was like, man, if these people won't even pay me 100 bucks, they won't even give me a sandwich. You know what I'm saying? And I, of course I rap. Of course I opened up for Rakim. You know what yeah, I'm saying? That, I got that that, look, let me tell you, that's like one thing. I was like, I was going to say, please say yes, please say yes, because that's like legendary. That's legendary. So I ain't stupid. You know what I'm saying? And, and we have to compromise our principles. Almost every space we walk in in white America, anyway, to some degree. But I'm not going to miss out on opening up for Rock Kim. But I was pissed, man. That night I was like, dude, nobody. If this company ain't going to support me, the bigger ones ain't going to support me. Ain't nobody going to support us. And I come from a beautiful community of real hip hop. We're all tight knit. It's a degree and a half of separation. And most hip hop artists are activists and educators and positive people in the community on the ground. And I was just so, I was like, I was incensed, bro. I was, I was pissed that night. And you can go on Hip Hop for Change's Facebook page. And I believe the first video is a video I made that very night being like, man, forget this. I'm starting my own damn nonprofit because I just had this idea. I was like, bro, nobody will give us money. And I was like, wait a second. You just learned how to raise half a million dollars and give 20, 30 people jobs every year. And I was like, and the community needs money. And they also need jobs. I was like, it was a no. I was like, boom, mind bomb. And as soon as I did it, I was like, yeah, I'm doing this. I'm going to make a green piece for hip hop. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to make a grassroots canvas for hip hop. And, and there's a video on our Facebook. The first video, I believe, is a video I made that night talking about I'm doing a go. I'm doing a, a, a I think it was a GoFundMe trying to get enough money to incorporate. And if I don't get it all, I'm going to go raise it myself. And yeah, that was the idea, man. It was just. It was something I had to do. You know, the funny thing is, is I went out, I started fundraising for it. The next day, uh, I went incorporated. And they told me all the stuff I had to do to, to get it to be a real nonprofit. And it was daunting, but I was like, cool. So I started going out to Canvas. And then slowly, about two weeks later, I stopped going out. At that time, that was my only source of income. So I kind of created like a little quota structure for myself where I can get paid off the top of everything I raised over a certain amount. So that was my only source of income. And I started getting real lazy. 
real lazy. And, you know, I got to the point where I hadn't gone out enough to even be able to pay to go out with my own friends on a Friday. Uh, and so I think three weeks into it, I hadn't gone out on campus in about five or six days. And I was super broke. And I woke up on one Friday, which is the best day to fundraise, right? And I was like 10 and I was like, I'm already an hour late. I don't really want to go. And then I just had this epiphany. I was like, man, you, you worked at Greenpeace. You worked for these white folks so hard, <laughs> so hard. You didn't even give yourself time to rap and do your dreams. You work, you work your fingers to the bone. You let them do, you know, do damn near wage theft on you because you weren't salaried and you were working there before, during and after you gave yourself to these folks that much. And you can't give yourself to your own people even half. And I just felt so bad. I got up so quick. I put on that shirt. I went out there and I never looked back, man. I've been working seven days a week pretty much since. So, yeah, if, if, you know, I, I just said, if I can't go out there for my own people like this, and I got to stop talking about myself on Facebook like I talk about myself. I got to stop rapping about myself like I'm somebody. You know what I'm saying? If I can't stand up on the shoulders of my ancestors and get in them streets for my own people, but I could do it for for polar bears. For polar bears, but not these young brown kids in Hunter's Point, then yeah. And as soon as I thought that, man, it's been off to the races. Uh, you know, I think that's the center of why I work so damn hard. Uh, because what else am I going to do? What else am I going to do now? And now that Hip Hop for Change is as big as it is, this is the coolest shit ever, man. It's the coolest ever. I'm literally stuck now. What what else am I going to do other than help? You can't do anything. Yeah, see second graders rap battling and break dancing. Like, what am I going to do but make that happen? Ain't, no, ain't nobody else going to do it. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, I'm I'm stuck and I'm happily stuck and I'm tired, <laughs> but I'm inspired. So, Nah, I, I love that. How was it opening for Rakim? Because I, I don't know, for like for a rapper, I feel like that would be like they're opening for someone at that level. It's like, whoa, this is a guy that changed the game for rap. He introduced like a different dimension. That's how it was. But you know, the funny thing is, man, I was sitting up in the green room right afterwards because I almost didn't even watch this whole set. I watched half his set and I was like, I'm going to sit in the green room, wait for him to come back because I opened up tonight. So I'm in the green room. I'm about to go meet Rock Kim. Anyway, his set goes off. I'm sitting up there. I'm cheesing. I'm like, yeah, I got my phone ready. I'm ready to get my selfies. And then he walks up surrounded by like 40 people, 40 rappers that I look up to. And those rap, those these are rappers to me. They're like the coolest rappers in the world to me in the Bay Area. I never seen them fan out so hard, right? I never, I never they were fanning out like I fan out over there. For I was them. Like, yeah, yeah. And they were surrounding him so much, I didn't even get the chance to get off the sofa. And, he, and they were just through. I didn't even get to, t- I didn't even get to talk to him, speak to him, or nothing. But I, I was seeing all these people that I looked up to, like you know, cats in high roll and cats in solidarity records and stuff. And they're like, "Hey, brother, what's?" That? And I was just like, "Wow, it was interesting." You know what I'm saying? Seeing people that that I never see anything but the coolest of cool, yeah, the coolest of cool, and they're just fanning out. It was, it was. It was- <laughs> It was funny. For those of you in the audience who don't know, Rock Kim is known as your favorite rapper's favorite rapper. And, you know, he's he's one of those. Hey, God MC. Uh, and, and for the folks who don't know, back in the day, hip hop used to be that really simple A-B-A-B rhyme. Monosyllabic. You know, yeah, very monosyllabic. Rock Kim is the person that put in syncopation and syllabic intonation into hip hop rhyming. Uh, he's the one that just... He rap on the one, two, three, four and a halves and triplets and all that. He's the one that popularized the new kind of form of rhyming where we're really dancing over the the four four instead of just hitting the four four. Yeah, that's that's amazing. So 
what's in store for the future for you? Like, what's the next goal, mate? Because you've you've obviously done a lot, but there's always more work to be done. What's the next? What's the future goal? The goal, in a sense, is to be able to create hip hop at a level of authenticity that corporations can't match. You know what I'm saying? It's just the way it is. You know, if we look at the industry right now, they they're selling billions of units, and in order to do that, the most successfully with the highest probability of return, you have to sell the cheapest crap that, you know, isn't dynamic and diverse. We see what they got, but what that's leaving out is a whole community of of dollars and people that are unsatiated, right? What I'm trying to do is create the the means of producing hip hop vertically and horizontally under a 501c3 status. So our community and our culture can take back the social justice movement that is hip hop. Social justice being the organizing base of our hopes and our dreams and our narratives, right? Uh, and our fears and our, and, our, and our cries for help, but also the economic base that comes around our culture, right? Black and brown people are always led by our culture. We put a lot of money into having fun and releasing, you know what I'm saying? So we should be able to, to, we should be able to engage in hip hop without giving money to major corporations that invest, uh, in private prison industries as well. You know what I'm saying? We should be able to, to to become a rapper or a breaker or whatnot without exploitation. And we do that at Hip Hop for Change. So my, my next you know short-term goal is to get stable out of COVID, first off, because we're still in COVID, still dealing with it. Then to move and open a second office in LA. We would have done that already if COVID hadn't hit. But then it's to take over the whole, the whole world. Hip hop is ours. It's our culture. And we can do it better. You put chili meat next to filet mignon, you know what you're going to pick for dinner. You know what I'm saying? So you can't you can't put some of these crappy rappers next to some of our, you know, do- I, you, you can't even put some of these these fake gangster trap rappers next to some of our really intelligent trap artists and think you're going to rock with these idiots that know what they're talking about. You know what I'm saying? So that's just it. It's like I can use my 501c3 status to help us do the same things that we've been doing but getting screwed over by the industry for like we've always sold our CDs on the street. We just have to run when the cops come. Now we've got, we got permits now, you know what I'm saying? We've got permits from the, from the city. Uh, so I wear NY supremacy shirt in front of Lafayette whole foods, it's a suburb real right outside of Oakland, super white, super white. We're standing in front of the whole foods, mind you, Greenpeace, save the children. They stand out there all the time. Right. But when we stand out there, Oh, we get yelled at the cops come all that. You know what I'm saying? And the cops come and they say, oh, you guys can't be here. I say, yes, I can be here. Oh, well, are you still listening? No, I'm doing my First Amendment protected speech. What are you doing? Uh, First Amendment protected speech. Well, you're taking money. That's First Amendment protected speech. Here's my permit. I need to get back to work now. Can you tell that white dude who's yelling at us to leave us alone? All right. And then we just get this money. You know what I'm saying? And we're moving CDs and we're telling people, you know, who we are. We're having 50,000 conversations a year in affluent white spaces. Um, and that's where we get about 80% of our funds from. You know what I'm saying? So just being able to do that and have this 501c3 status, we're not doing that new. We're just more protected, right? We throw these events and these shows and instead of charging people $40, $50 to see Black Thought, you know what I'm saying? We can go get money from the Sierra Club, California Arts Council, Surfrider Foundation, and we get 40, 50K off the rip, book Black Thought, make it a free all-ages event, then get some more freaking sponsorship, and then invite all these local environmental justice orgs to come table so people start learning about the environment, have a panel discussion with, with badass activists who are working on the baby hunter, like the Navy Hunters Point shipyard toxic site, like Dr. Ahimsa Sumchai. 
who's working getting people their their blood tested to see how much you know particulates they have in there. And we put her on a panel, and people are riveted, right? And it's not just these the normal environmental crowd. We even have those like ex hippie, you know, forty five, fifty five year old white, you know, environmentalists there too. But we also have these kids from the hood, you know, and these people from our community that want to come see Black Thought and Sa Rock and M1 from Dead Prayers and then Ryan Nicole and then Grand National and all our DJs and breakers. And they get into the show for free because there's nothing holding them back. And then they get connected to all these local environmental justice orgs and they see a panel discussion on some stuff they may or may not know about. And none of these people had to pay for anything. None of this healing, none of this activism. That's something the industry can't do. You know, so when I talk about having a 20,000 person free women's empowerment summit at the Shoreline Amphitheater, another plan in entertainment can't do that hella times in a row. All our shows are free, period. We never made more money until we started not charging. You know what I'm saying? Now we can get the people that have the resources to pay for it because we have this nonprofit status, you know, so that protects us economically while we invest in these platforms to get these local artists paid because, you know, we don't have the money. So we're not doing anything new. We're just mixing two worlds that really haven't come together. And I'm going to make sure that when young kids want to create an album, you know, if I can get a $100,000 grant from the Ford Foundation, I can produce five artists in Oakland, give them four LPs, a couple music videos each, give them a distribution deal with Avid, and then send them out on tour, man. Now they're rappers. You know what I'm saying? And, and actually connect them with our, our, our um, education director, Unlearn the World a.k.a. Marlon Richardson, who helps them with artist uh, development and whatnot. So they know what's going on. Right now, we're trying to figure out a 360 deal that's fully weighted towards an artist. So you keep the money. You keep the masses. We don't want it. You know what I'm saying? We just want to be able to bump it on the radio. You know what I'm saying? So we're trying to do something not new, but something that's, you know, fully decolonized. And that's really what we're trying to do. We're trying to create a platform of hip hop that is fully community controlled. So it'll center our most important voices again. Oh, that's that's amazing, man. And, you know, always let me know how I can support you, man. I, I love people who are, you know, who are about positivity, who are really about just at causing meaningful change. So let's wrap up this episode. What's the message you really want to get out to people? Give me your money. No. OK, <laughs> do that. Too. This. No, yo, nonprofits only need two things. Every nonprofit in the world only needs two things. One is capital and one is social capital. So you're helping me out right now, brother, by even extending your platform to me. And I really appreciate that. Now more than ever, I found out that that's what hip hop for change needs. I need the community that I don't have. So thank you for this. Uh, so if you have social capital, lend it to, to who you want to help. You know what I'm saying? Like mention a black woman's name in another room that she's not in. You know what I'm saying? Mention our nonprofit's name when you hear, you know, when you're talking to somebody else about cool work that's going on. Just we just need people to know we exist. And it's all laws of averages after that. The more people who know about you, the more people you'll get to give you capital. And we we also need that, too. We lost uh, half our monthly donors during COVID. Uh, we ended up about 46 percent underwater with our operational budget. We also had to furlough our entire grassroots street team of 35 people. Oh, gut man. Yeah. I mean, fortunately, uh, they got unemployment. They got a little extra money because of that extra check that was coming in. So it was just. We just lost the ability to, to hang around our family every day. That's really what it was. It was hard. Um, but we're still digging out. You know, we have PPP loans. We just got a grant that allowed us to know we have enough time to build back. But it's difficult. So we need more monthly donors. You can donate eight bucks a month or more. It's like Netflix account, but the babies get to chill. Right. You know what I'm saying? Um, and that goes just to support our education programs. 
Um, but yeah, if you're asking me what I need, I need people to know about us. I need people to subscribe to our newsletter so we can invite you to the free shows, events, tell you about what's going on in hip hop activism, organizing and pedagogy and tap you into all the other nonprofits that we work with and our coalition partners. Um, so go to our website, hiphopforchange.org, hiphopfor. We also have the number four, change.org. Um, and subscribe, stick with us because um, we're not... You know, we're not outnumbered. We're out organized. And we have the organizing structure right now that has the potential to take back our culture. So if you want to, just come on, join the fight for our culture. Uh, thank you. Um, I got your back. And, you know, I know some of my listeners will have your back. Thank you so much for your time. Such an informative episode. I know you'll change many lives. I look forward to, you know, working together with you. Thanks a lot. Right on. Right on, man. Thanks for having me. Peace, y'all. Another great episode. Thank you for listening. Hopefully this information was valuable and you learned a lot. Stay tuned for the next episode. This show is sponsored by you. No Degree wants to remain free from influence so that we can talk about the topics without bias. If you think the show is worth a dollar or two, please check out our Patreon page. Any amount is appreciated and will go towards making future episodes even better. Follow us on Instagram or Snapchat at No Degree Podcast on Facebook at facebook.com slash no degree inc. If you want to personally reach out to me, connect or follow me on LinkedIn at Janaid Iqbal, spelled J-O-N-A-E-D, last name I-Q-B-A-L. Until next time, no degree, no problem, no degree.com. Yeah, so... You got no degree? No problem. No problem. I don't know. Any problem? We can solve we them. We got this. Linked insomnia keeps us evolving. Growing in the knowing. Wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. I'm going. If you didn't know, now you know. Let's sing that again, everybody. No degree? No problem. Any problem? We can solve them. Insomnia keeps us evolving. We're growing in the knowing. The wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. No degree, no problem. Any problem, we can solve them. LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving. We're growing in the knowing. The wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. Yeah.